I am the president of the Viktor Frankl Institute of Logotherapy South Africa. The title of our discussion is The Power of a Meaningful Life. The story of Viktor Frankl. My aim in presenting this series in logotherapy is to address our students who are enrolled for a training course in logotherapy in the first place, but because the subject relates to all of our lives, you are also very welcome to join us in this discussion. It is my privilege to tell you about logotherapy because it is the truly authentic human science of our existence. It tells us who we are, how we are put together, and for what purpose. And it really illustrates to us the very art of living. But what makes logotherapy exceptional is that it addresses the tragic aspects of life in a very confrontational and inspirational way. Frankl said, you know, he called it the tragic triad. Who of us can say, we'll never suffer, you know, have no problems, no distresses, no vexations, no things going wrong, or that we will never fail, you know, never make a mistake or do anything wrong or go off course, things that we feel bad about and that we feel we need to change and repent of. And more than that, who of us can say that we will never die? And it is this fear of death that actually is behind every kind of severance from life, that pain and distress, illness or tragedy and also mistakes bring about in our lives. We feel cut off. We feel we don't belong. We feel we are unacceptable. We are on the outskirts and the fringes of things. We don't belong. That is the main thing. And we lose our sense of connection to life itself and actually become much more diminished in who we are. You know, Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor, and it's because... His story is a story of such overcoming and of triumph in the midst of the greatest tragedy one can ever imagine, the Nazi Holocaust and death camps, that makes his story so inspirational. Because the message comes through to us, and you know it's a, it's a difficult message to really grasp, that we actually are not only to overcome and deal with what goes wrong in our lives, but that we have the ability to do so. And what is more, the commission to overcome these vexing and distressing factors in life and actually grow through it, gain character, discover our strengths, and actually rise to the level of human greatness. And this is the story of Viktor Frankl that I want to tell you today, to serve as a role model to all of us. The Holocaust meant the extermination 
by the power-crazed leader of the Nazi movement in Germany during the Second World War to remove from the world everything that is unwanted, that will in some way spoil or contaminate the pure blood of the Aryan race that is to reign supreme and dominate all other nations and bring them into subservience in a world dictatorship that is the glory of a resurrected German Reich. And to do that, he started with euthanasia problems, a, a, a program to, to eliminate the weak, the disabled, the mentally deranged, the mentally retarded among his own nation. And that also included homosexuals, Jehovah's Witnesses, even dissidents. But in removing these unwanted elements from the Aryan race, his aim was to really establish himself in a godlike status. And to do that, the Jew stood in his way. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the Jews are the chosen nation. Now, Hitler had a deep inferiority complex. And in his desire to rise to a position of superiority, the Jew became his particular target. He raged. There cannot be two chosen peoples in the world, only one. But he so misinterpreted, actually was grossly ignorant of the real truth of what chosenness means. Chosenness, as far as the Jewish concept of it is concerned, is to be set aside for a purpose to be enlightened and practice in your own life the eternal, universal laws of meaningful living and to transmit it in an enlightening and liberating way in the lives of others. That is why the Jews see themselves as a light to the nations, not as a dark force threatening to supplant or overcome and dominate them the way Hitler interpreted it. Now, it is so fascinating that Frankel, as a Jew, was, of course, subject to this kind of discriminatory focus. As the war clouds of the Second World War was gathering over Austria, he was brought to a real test of what had become the philosophy of his life, because the very opposite of leading a meaningful life is to be thrown into the abyss of senseless, cruel meaninglessness was at stake. But I want us to go back to how he came to his orientation in life and which he called, in contrast to the two big schools that were operative at the time, the work of Sigmund Freud and psychoanalysis, which he called the will to pleasure, and the Adlerian school that put the focus on our struggle to overcome our inferiority feelings with rising to a position of superiority, which 
Frankel termed the will to power, and he contrasted his own school in calling it the will to meaning. How did this develop? Frankel was brought up, and this is very important, in a value-filled, loving Jewish home. But he said this about himself and recalling his childhood experiences, that when he was but a boy, one dark evening, and I think the symbolism is so important, he was overcome with a disturbing thought that one day he too would have to die. But he said what overcame him then was not the fear of death, but the meaning of life in the face of the fact that it's going to end. So why live it if it's just going to end? He said this is a question that pursued him all his life. But, you know, this is a wonderful feature I just want to highlight. When you open yourself up in a questioning way as to the meaning of life, Life is so faithful to come and answer you because it wasn't long after. And again, look at the analogy. One sunny morning that before he opened his eyes, he was awake already. He was overcome with a rapturous feeling of being held and protected and so wonderfully comforted. And when he opened up his eyes, there was his father bending over him and smiling. And you know, the impression left upon the mind of this beautiful child is that there is meaning in life, but we have to reach out to it, to experience it, and to find it. Uh, Frankel made such a strong point that you cannot conjure up meaning. You can't create it. You've got to find it. It's out there in the world. In other words, in the loving encounters that you have with people and in the service you'll be rendering to make this world a better place. That is how you find meaning. And now coming back to the test that was then put to him, He had the desire to become a doctor at first and then a good doctor. And as he qualified himself in medicine with the specialization in psychiatry and neurology and also gained a doctorate in philosophy, he was truly challenged by what was happening in Austria. As he perceived, because it was already well known, that Jews were being rounded up and taken to concentration camps, he sat down to write down his life's work, a manuscript that was after the war published as The Doctor and the Soul. But he was living with his elderly parents at the time. And here came the challenge. Frankel was offered an American visa. He could escape the tragedy and trauma that lay ahead for the Jewish people, not just in Austria, over the entire Europe that Hitler had step by step conquered. But the challenge was this, and it was made more difficult by his parents saying to him, Victor, take the visa! Go to America. 
you can do your work there. I mean, that's open doors and, you know, please, Victor, you can't miss this opportunity. But he said, you know, it was like a situation where one wants a hint from heaven, where you didn't really know if that's the right thing to do. Because what was it that plagued him? His concern for his elderly parents. Because you know he was the head of the polyclinic hospital, the Jewish hospital in Vienna, and his position afforded his parents some protection. And he thought, how can he leave them? How can he leave them to their lot? You know, he went for a walk, trying to sort out his feelings. And when he came home that evening, he saw on his father's desk a little remnant, a little chip, when he asked his father, what is it? Because it had a Hebrew letter on it, you know, engraved on it. And it was the letter Hay, which actually stands for five. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hay, five. And he asked his father, well, what does it stand for? His father said, you know what, I got this in the rubble of the great synagogue in Vienna that was burned down. Remember Kristallnacht, where all the synagogues were burnt down and Jewish shops broken into and looted? And his father found this little remnant, which he said comes from the tablet that contained the Ten Commandments that's usually in the front of the synagogue. And he said, you know, it's so fascinating because this letter stands for just one of those commandments. And Frankel eagerly asked, which one? Do you know the fifth commandment? How does it read? Honor your father and mother that your life may be long in the land that the Lord God will give you. He said he had his answer and he stayed. It was a terrifically costly choice to make. But you know, usually the choices that bring the greatest results in our lives are costly. Why? Because they ask for our commitment and dedication. It's almost like saying, here I am. This is what I choose. This is what I believe in. And that's why it's so powerful. His sister had escaped to Australia, but it happened that he, and later he met his darling wife, Tilly, that they were all rounded up and taken to the concentration camps. His father died of starvation in Theresienstadt. His mother was sent to the gas chambers in Auschwitz because she was elderly. His brother died there, and his wife died in Bergen-Belsen of typhoid. But Frankel did not know this in entering the experience of suffering he was about to be entering into. You know that they had an unborn child and it was already a ruling in Nazi law that pregnant Jewish women were immediately sent to the gas chamber. Because who was sent to the gas chamber? The unwanted, the children, the elderly, the sick, those who couldn't still be used for the Nazi war machine to do work until they are actually worked to death or shot or killed along the way and eliminated, right? 
And so they went to the painful resolution of having an abortion. And Frankel wrote the book after the Holocaust, The Unheard Cry for Meaning. The manuscript that he had written when they had to leave home, he hid in the inner pocket of his coat, hoping that it would somehow survive him, even if he didn't have a physical child of his own, that he might just have a spiritual child. But when he came to Auschwitz and he asked the God whether he could keep his manuscript, and the God incredulously said, are you crazy? And said, shit! And he took his coat from him and threw it in a heap. And Frankel later was given after he was shaved naked. And he said, we had nothing but our ridiculously naked lives. Nothing to hold on to anymore except who we were. He was given another coat. You know, isn't it wonderful when you are brought into a suffering situation that you do hear the call of life as to what is expected of you because he was given a coat of an inmate that had already been sent to the gas chambers and in the pocket he found a torn out page from the Jewish prayer book, the Siddur and it contained the principal prayer of Judaism which is Hear, hear, O Israel The Lord your God is a one and only sovereign over everything. And you should love him with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And Frankl said, how should he have interpreted such a coincidence as life saying to him, live? You know, at the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, there is the gate that says, In your blood, live. And this was the challenge that he felt came to him. doesn't matter what the suffering was, he had to survive. And he decided, therefore, not to run into the wire like so many inmates did, the electrified fence, and be killed. But survival for what? One of the survivors that I interviewed realized this quite early on. She said, it isn't a question whether you you lived or you died. It was a question of how you lived and how you died. And Frankl himself said the best of them did not survive. They went into the gas chamber upright with a prayer on their lips. But anyway, his own commission became very clear to him. And, you know, it happened really because the shock and the apathy and the kind of irritability one felt under those dreadful conditions he experienced he could overcome. One day when the entire camp was to receive no food, at all. Why? Because one of the inmates had broken into the kitchen and stolen a potato. And so the camp guard said, no food for anyone until that culprit has been brought to book. You know that the whole camp fasted and refused to give the name of that so-called culprit. And it was then in the barracks 
that the barrack leader asked Frankel to speak to the inmates who were feeling pretty down. And you know, here was his challenge. Here he realized and told them, you know what? It's not what we expect from life, because you know they were saying, what can we expect from life? It's finished. He said, it's not a question of what we expect from life. It's rather a question of what life expects from us. How are you going to deal with this horror? What kind of person are you going to be? You know, one of the other Holocaust survivors put it to me this way. She said that she never felt so high emotionally and intellectually as then in pain and degradation, cold and hunger than then. Everything that in her life that was precious to her came to her mind and she remembered it with such fondness. In fact, she felt so strong in her own personality and values that she said in her mind to these Nazi gods and perpetrators, come, come and get me, in me, I am above you. You've got the gun, but you are the nothing. This is what Frankl described as the defiant power of the human spirit, that he was able to raise in the spirits of those who were listening to him that day. Because he said, why do you put your focus on the negative? Why do you say there's no more hope? Who's to say what tomorrow will bring? You tell me exactly what tomorrow will bring. You don't know. But the stand you take today can help you to reach that tomorrow. It's like another Holocaust survivor said to me, the moment you lose hope, you lose it all. And your will to meaning, your will to life dies. And so, so many camp inmates died this way. But Frankel and those like him felt it was almost their responsibility to show the other suffering inmates, that it was possible to take a stand against what was happening to them. It wasn't a stand of revenge and counter-killing or anything like that. It was a spiritual stand. Like another survivor said to me, she vowed one day to come back to Auschwitz, a free person, to show them that they were not able to destroy her humanity. That is it, to remain decent, to be the kind of person with integrity and with compassion. That is the greatness that was being called forth in the Holocaust. You know, when I speak to my Jewish students in Israel and I say that the Holocaust, yes, it was the greatest tragedy of Jewish history, but no, it was its greatest triumph because this is what one of the survivors also said to me. Hitler could turn us into a heap of dead bodies, but he could not get at us. We remain. And that was the story of Frankel, and I want to highlight it with two incidences that so describe what Frankel said is the 
unscathed human spirit, the ability to take a stand when everything is taken from you, that you have, you can have, he called it an attitudinal stand. You may not be able to do anything to change your circumstances, but you have the freedom to choose what kind of attitude you will have towards those circumstances. And it can be a triumphant attitude. And then it is like life meets you. It's incredible. The sustaining power of these heroic right choices that the inmates discovered they could experience in the beauty of a sunset, in their making music, in gathering in little corners to pray. The religious life deepened so greatly during those times. I just want to recall one incident, for example, when Frankel he was ministering as he could as a psychiatrist and as a doctor in the camp where he had the occasion. He came to this woman lying on her bed in the barracks and he asked her how she was and she pointed to a tree just outside her barrack window and it had some blossoms on it. And she said, I often speak to that tree. And Frankel thought, oi, is she hallucinating? To test whether she is, he asked her, and does the tree speak to you? And she said, oh, yes, oh, yes. Frank said, well, what does it say to you? She says, it says to me, I am here. I am here. I am life, eternal life. Now, that was an experience that Frankel had himself. And he described this as one grey morning when he was hacking at some icy ground where they were laying a, a railway line. And I want to actually read that description for you out of his book, Man's Search for Meaning, because it is so terrific. And listen, the dawn was grey around us. Grey was the sky above. Grey the snow in the pale light of dawn. Grey the rags in which my fellow prisoners were clad. And grey their faces. I was struggling to find the reason for my sufferings, my slow dying. In a last violent protest against the hopelessness of imminent death, I sensed my spirit piercing through the enveloping gloom. I felt it transcend that hopeless, meaningless world. And from somewhere, I heard a victorious Yes, in answer to my question of the existence of an ultimate purpose. At that very moment, and isn't that remarkable, after he heard this resounding yes coming somewhere from the heavens into his own mind and lifting his spirit, at that very moment, a light was switched on in a distant farmhouse, and he thought of the scripture, the light shines 
in the darkness, and the darkness overcomes it not. Also, on that very mound in which he had dug a heap of soil, a dove came to sit, looking steadily at him. And you know, he felt it was the presence of his wife so strongly that, you know, he wrote that the liberating thought and truth came to him, that the salvation of man is in and through love. Nothing can destroy the love you have and have experienced in your life, the loving services you have rendered, the love you brought into other people's lives, but just nothing can destroy it. And he said it didn't even matter to him, you know, whether his wife was alive or dead anymore, because what they had went beyond the ability to destroy it. And that was such a boost to his spirit, that yes that came from above. And then here is a very riveting thing, that in the very place of our sufferings and difficulties and how I've discovered this in the lives of client after client and student after student, that the very horror that they had experienced in childhood, for example, you know, a a drug abuse or alcohol abuse of their fathers or what have you, that's the sensitivities that they developed to one day go and help alcoholics or drug addicts, or if there was sexual abuse, to go and help people who are sexually abused. Frankel was faced with the greatest manifestation of meaninglessness, of senseless suffering. So what was his challenge? He saw a vision. And it was at a day when he felt his thoughts were so dragged down to the survival level of what will there be to eat and, you know, would it be a a less cruel foreman the next day and where can he get a piece of wire to tie his shoes that was rubbing on the soles of his feet? And he said he became disgusted that his thoughts were being pulled down to such a level. And as he lifted his spirits, he saw himself standing on a platform in a well-lit auditorium with an audience sitting in comfortable upholstered chairs listening to him giving lectures on the psychology of the death camps. My word, that was the very, very vision that Frankel actually then realized after his release. When he was liberated, you know, how life is something indestructible. Life is something beautiful. It's always ongoing. No matter who tries to destroy or spoil it, you can find the treasure and the meaning of life despite everything, and you can proclaim its beauty and its sacredness and stand against those who harm and damage or use and abuse it for some or other fanatical cause that can really say that people should be killed and abrogating the very law of God. Upon his release, he was walking through this field of flowering daisies. Larks was lifting their wings to the sky and singing. 
And he was overcome with the beauty of the nature around him outside of the camps. And he sank down on his knees, and he said he didn't know how long he knelt there. But he said this verse from a psalm, the Tehillim, over and over again. I cried to my Lord from my narrow prison, and he delivered me into the freedom of space. That is when he said his life began to take on a vitality again. Even when, upon his return to his hometown, he discovered that he had lost his entire family, except for his sister and especially his darling wife, Tilly. As he broke down in tears, he said to his friend, you know, if something like this happens to a man, it must mean something. I feel there's something waiting for me. And what was waiting for him? Viktor Frankl wrote his manuscript again, Doctor and the Soul, but it was Man's Search for Meaning where he captured his Holocaust experiences in which he finished in nine days that actually took off. Uh, first in German, and then it was translated into English, and it's been translated in virtually every language of the world today. And it's still a bestseller up to this day, even though Frankel had died in 1997. It's still gaining in popularity, because why? People are searching for meaning and purpose of their lives. They don't want to live a haphazard life and certainly not to be a hapless victim of circumstances. One wants to feel that your life is on course and that you have direction and there's a purpose for you, uniquely yours, to fulfill. And his unique purpose was, like one of his students said to him, the meaning of your life is to bring meaning into the lives of others. And that Frankel did in traveling to more than 200 universities all over the world in five continents and standing on the platform of what he saw in the concentration camp of a well-lit auditorium, his audience sitting in comfortable upholstered chairs, and he could expound the truths his own experience had given, had lent such validity to. And... The promise that he would live long in the land? You know that he traveled the world. He came to South Africa too. I was already then one of the founding members of the Viktor Frankl Foundation of South Africa and we invited him to the University of South Africa to get an honorary doctorate degree and there I was sitting in the upholstered chair of our beautiful auditorium and listening to him and at the end the entire audience rose to their feet. I don't know how long they applauded him. This is the kind of message the world needs to hear, especially in the face of the terrorism, the violence, the, the cruelty of what we are seeing, of another rise of fanatical regimes that want to dominate and oppress and use and abuse people. We have to take a stand and overcome evil with good. Frankel died at 92, and as he was wheeled into the operating room where he, in fact, 
succumbed under a heart transplant operation. He had his book that he had written, The Unconscious God, but now was translated anew, published anew under the title Man's Search for Ultimate Meaning in Life on his chest. Thank you. You've been listening to another episode from the Solid Gold Podcast Studios.